a series. I don't know um, where all this will go, but I want to look through the book of Job and study all that we can. I'm going to do a little historical, a little bit of what we know or what we surmise. I guess we don't know for sure some things, but uh, I'm going to read an introduction to Job written by Henry Morris and his study Bible. I don't uh, follow everything Henry Morris says. I use, I use study Bibles more for her historical perspective um, than anything else. But I, I want to read what he says about it. And uh, maybe it'll give us a little context to the book. And then we'll um, look at the first five verses tonight. Um, I titled the message, A Godly Father. And I was impressed again at Job's heart for his family. Um, I want to look at uh, a few things about Job this, this evening. Um, but let's have a word of prayer, and I'll read this, this page right here. It's a little long, but bear with me, and uh, hopefully I can read through it fairly quickly. Father, thank you uh, for our time tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I ask that uh, as we look into the book of Job, that each one of us will, will grow and be strengthened by it. Lord, that uh, you would lead in in this study. Thank you for the book of Job and all that you've taught us here. Uh, I just ask that you would would use this mightily in our lives, and we'll praise you for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, the first 11 chapters of Genesis almost certainly were written, originally written by Adam, Noah, the sons of Noah, and Terah, then eventually edited by Moses. Now, remember, this is the words of Henry Morris. Uh, compared with introduction to Genesis, apart from that, however, the book of Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible. It contains more references to creation, the flood, and other uh, permeable events than any book of the Bible except Genesis, and provides more insight into the age-long conflict between God and Satan than almost any other book. Remarkably, it also seems to contain more modern scientific insight than any other book of the Bible. Uniform Jewish tradition ascribed the book of Job to Moses and also accepted it as part of the true canon of Scripture. This description seems quite reasonable if Moses is regarded as the editor and original sponsor of Job's book rather than its author. Undoubtedly, Job himself was the original author, writing down his memoirs, so to speak, after his restoration to health and prosperity. Moses most likely came into possession of Job's record during his 40-year exile from Egypt in the land of Midian, not far from Job's own homeland in Uz, and quickly recognized its great importance, perhaps slightly editing it from, for the benefit of his own contemporaries. It was all probably similar to the way that he compiled and origin, organized the ancient records from which he has given us the book of Genesis. Now, remember, that is an assumption, and uh, we're not given the author of Job. But we do know it was a very old book, um, I think this is, this is reasonable, what he's saying here, um, but it's not proven. We'll know someday for sure. Job, according to God's own testimony, was the most righteous and godly man in the world, at least up to that time. It is confirmed in Ezekiel 14, 14 and 20, and in James 5, 11, that he was a real his- historical person and not just a fictional character in a great dramatic poem, as some have alleged. Paul quotes from Job 5.13 and 1 Corinthians 3.19. 
Job eventually lived, or evidently lived about the time of Abraham. That's interesting to consider. He, he didn't, we see it as the earliest book written, and, uh, and my mind always throws him back before Abraham, but uh, we, he was a contemporary with Abraham. It is, significant, it is significant that despite the prevalent ancient tradition of Moses' connection with the book, the book of Job nowhere mentions the Mosaic Law or even the children of Israel. It clearly was written well before the time of Jacob, the land of Uz, where Job lived as the greatest of all the men of the East, a geographical reference probably inserted by Moses since Uz was east of Midian and dwelt as a king in the army, was later to become the land of Edom. Quite possibly it was originally settled by Uz himself, who was a grandson of Shem. The antiquity of the time of Job is further indicated by the fact that he probably lived at least 200 years longer even than Abraham. And he's giving references for this. Job's book is considered a masterpiece of literature even by those who reject its historic, his historicity and its divine inspiration. Its per- pervasive theme, one of interest in all times and places, is the mystery of the suffering of the righteous in a world created by a righteous and omnipotent God. However, through this may be the theme of the book that it is not, that is not its purpose, for the book never answers that question. Even God in his remarkable four-chapter monologue at the end of the book, never mentions the question at all. Rather, God emphasizes the vital importance of the doctrine of special creation and the sovereign right of the Creator to use and test His creatures as He will. He is never unjust and never capricious, and we must simply rest and rejoice in that fact by faith. That is Henry Morris's opening to the book of Job, and I thought that was an interesting way to start. I, I look at it, and I do believe the theme of the book is God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. He does what he will. What, what Henry said there at the end was right. Now, let's read the first five verses. I want to look at the three characteristics of Job here. His honesty, that he feared God, and that he loved his family. Verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that his, this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his son went, sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. I love the little statement at the end, Thus did Job continually. He was focused on keeping his family walking with God. A couple other things I I looked at, we see that Job was a man of great wealth. And I thought, interesting, I I looked at verse 3 and I wanted to know in today's market, what was his, what were the livestock worth? You know, we we see these four animals, uh, but it says in a very great household, so this was not all of Job's wealth. Um, But just for an interesting tidbit, the sheep, we see he had 7,000 sheep. On today's market, you know, this fluctuates and all that, but uh, the, the number I found was $1,050,000 worth of sheep. 
camels. He had 3,000 camels. Camels are an expensive animal. According to what I found, his camels would be about $15 million. So if you wanted to go buy uh, I mean, 3,000 camels, it's going to be around $15 million. The oxen, we see 500 yoke of oxen, so that's 1,000 of them. They're pulling the plow. There's about $1,200,000 worth of beef. It's a lot of hamburger and T-bone steaks. And the donkeys, um, 500 female donkeys are about $750,000. So if you total all that up, for what it's worth, his, animal, his livestock today would sell for somewhere in the range of $18 million. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. Job was a wealthy man. Job, God had blessed Job greatly. And all of that, we know what the Bible says about riches. That we start to depend upon riches. We turn away from God. Yet Job, the greatest man of the East, the wealthiest man of the East, has some things said about him. First of all, in verse 1, he is perfect and upright. And I made this, I wrote this point down as honest. Perfect and upright. And I want to I use the word honest because there's no hypocrisy in him then. He's perfect and upright. What he does is, is true. Uh, to those around him, he was known as an honest man. They knew that when they went and did a deal with Job, he was going to treat them fairly and he was going to stand by his word. So honesty is... is greatly treasured by God. And I know we've looked at it recently, but go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. <coughs> we see this, it says... Uh, Verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. He said, stay away from the lust of the flesh. And then this, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they may speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. They, they will seek to speak evil against you, or they do speak evil against you, yet... Your conversation is such that they glorify God on the day of visitation. What is my lifestyle? What is my conversation? Is it that of Job? Now this is simple, but are you honest with all of those around you in everything that you do? Our society promotes dishonesty at every turn. Every, every secular job I've ever had, the people that I worked with, when I would start there, would tell me how to get around the rules. This is what they say, but you can do this. This is what they say, but really, if you, if you kind of hedge the numbers here, you'll be fine. One thing that was, was always in, in driving a truck, to keep my logbook honest. <laughs> I was, I, I, praise the Lord, never got stopped. I only had my logbook checked once because if they'd have checked it, I was over hours a lot. I didn't lie on my logbook. Like, you know what? I worked these hours. That's what I did. 
But there's, there's so many temptations in our life, and, and we, we look at that and we think, well, that's, that's just a little thing. What difference does it make? Well, honesty carries through in everything. Job was perfect and upright. He was pure in his heart. He strove to serve the Lord. He was honest with himself. He was honest with those around him. Had a conversation that was honest among the Gentiles. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 <coughs> don't know why my throat all of a sudden got so dry. I think it's the idea of having water up here to drink. It's your fault, Scott. That's what I'm saying. Romans twelve seventeen says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Pretty simple instruction here. Just be honest in the sight of all men, that they know that's what you are. You're going to do what you say you're going to do, and, and when they're not around, does the boss trust you to do your job to the best of your ability? Are you perfect and upright in your heart? Is there no, no dishonesty there? Uh, I, I want to look at one more to all those around us, to the world around us. What is your reputation? Acts chapter 6 we see they're calling the first um, deacons. And in the church, they're told to do this. Verse 3 of chapter 6. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. What is the first requirement in a deacon? That he has an honest report. This is what you're supposed to look at. Look out among the group. Now we know that the church had exploded. It was huge. They were adding to the church daily such as would be saved. What an amazing time it must have been. And then among those thousands, they said, find seven that have an honest report. They're known to be honest. Now, if it were that time now, would we be in consideration? Is that the reputation that we have? Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. <clears throat> That's the requirement, and we see it in, we see it in Job. Now, it, honesty is God's delight as well. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 11. He gives us some things that in the Bible that bring him joy. So you do these things, it brings me joy. And that ought to be special to us. That ought, that ought to be something we look into the Word of God and try to find. What brings God delight? Right? I hope you do that for your spouse. If you know something that she likes, men, try to find those things. I'm not a very good person at buying gifts. I'm awful at buying gifts. Um, I haven't bought her a vacuum sweeper for her birthday yet, but <laughs> do we know what delights the Lord, and, and do we seek to do that? It's an amazing thing to think that he brings, we can bring him joy. That, that doesn't make sense in my mind. The creator of the universe, now he doesn't need me, 
He doesn't need you. But we have this ability when we're surrendered to Him and when we're honest to bring Him joy, to, to show Him some happiness. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Now that's a true reading, right? A just weight is a, is a scale that is right. It doesn't tell you it's three pounds if it's two and a half or 2.8 pounds. It is perfect in what it tells you. It's right. It's honest. Well, the Lord is delighted. In, he delights in that. That's an amazing thing. We know that Job was honest. We know that Job feared God. One that feared God and eschewed evil. And I, I could have made that three points, but I think those two things are together. Those are the same thing. Fearing God is morally reverent. Morally reverent. If you fear God, you will by nature eschew evil. It will be repulsive to you. So another thing that you find when you look up the word feared or look for the meaning of it is always careful in the presence of God. A holy respect for Him. Now, what, know ye not that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost? He dwells within me. So I'm in the presence of God. I need to be reverent, morally reverent and careful. A holy respect for Him. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Deuteronomy 10, 12. says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Just a couple things. First of all, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Well, it's all intermingled together. It's, it's, it's all part of the same thing. If you fear the Lord, you're going to walk in his ways. If you're really morally reverent towards Him, you see how holy and perfect He is, and you strive for that. You're going to be honest because you want to show Him joy and peace. Not peace, but happiness. You want to bring Him that delight that He gets from holiness, or from honesty. Moral reverence says that I will walk in His ways, I do love Him, and I'm going to serve Him with all my heart and soul. Do you fear God? Well, then you're going to do these things. Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me wrap, wrap it all up for you. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep His commandments. Do you hold Him in reverence? Do you love his presence? Habakkuk, <coughs> excuse me, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. I was thinking about Moses when he came to the burning bush and it says the, the ground that you stand on is holy ground. Take your feet, your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. And, and Moses obeyed because he's in the presence of the Lord and he was still and he listened to God. Are we silent before him? Are we reverent before him? 
listening and, and wanting to hear what he has to say and, and willing to obey. Fearing God is, is keeping silence in his presence. It's, it's looking to him to lead and to guide. One more verse, Psalms chapter 4, verse 4. <coughs> Job feared God and eschewed evil. This says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. <clears throat> Stand in awe. Stand in reverence. We, we fear God when we accept everything that He says. We don't try to mold Him to our own image or what we want Him to be. We fear God when we take His word Literally as it is written. In our, in our Thursday night Bible study, what we're looking at, the groundwork that we've been laying is proper interpretation of the Bible is a literal interpretation of the Bible. God didn't hide codes and secrets in here for us to try to dig out and, and that only the spiritual can find. He wrote his word so that we can all understand it. So you take it and you read it literally, and you apply it to your life. You don't need to spiritualize it, twist it. We just need to accept it. If I fear God, I take His Word, and I apply it to my life. There's, there's instructions in the Word of God that are very clear. We don't, we don't need to seek other uh, interpretations for, for them. Somebody asked me a while back about men having long hair. Well, the Bible says that he gave women hair for a covering, and they are not to pray without their heads covered. But he, gave, he told men that it, we should not pray with our heads covered. Is, does not nature itself tell you that it is a shame for a man to have long hair? You know what? I don't need to go and find any other thing. Let's, if, I, if I truly fear God, I look at his word, it says, it's a shame to have long hair. Well, there it is. And that's a simple illustration. But do we take the Word of God that way? Or do we say, well, but my experience is a little different. I think, I think if we look at this from another angle, we can find something. Well, now you're changing God to what you want Him to be and not truly fearing God. His Word says what it says. And I can take it literally and, and read it and understand it. I don't need a degree in Hebrew and Greek to understand the perfect Word of God is preserved for us in the King James Bible. So, do you fear Him? Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own hearts upon your bed and be still. Selah. Job, it was said of him, that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, we're going to see that God said that as well. He, he said it here, but we'll see his very words as we get farther into the chapter. So he was honest, he feared God, and he loved his family. I, I wanted to look at just, this, this is what struck me as I was starting into this chapter. And uh, verse 5, he offered sacrifices for them. He rose up early in the morning, sanctified them, burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said... It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. It might be that there's some, there's some turning from God in the hearts of my children. 
And he feared this so much that he did the, the sacrifice continually. Thus did Job continually. Now we know that the, the, uh, offer, the, burnt, excuse me, the burnt offering is, is prayers to God. So I can look at this and I can say, well, the application then, as a parent, as a grandparent, even as a member of this church, for the children that are here, okay? Think about Daniel that's in Michigan. Daniel is seeking to serve God. He just traveled up there for a month. He's going to be away from us for a month. Are we constantly seeking God's face on his behalf? Because Satan would love to destroy this young man. There's great potential there to serve God. He's on the right track right now, and I believe his heart is to follow God. So we need to be like Job. It's, it's a daily, daily thing that we need to be faithful in, and we can get so wrapped up in other things and not do Uh, what Job did. Turn with me to Proverbs. I think I wrote 29 down. Uh, Can't read my own writing here on this one. Yes, 29.15. Not really talking about spanking a child this evening. Um, discipline is necessary. If you love your children, you will discipline your children. Don't let the world ever tell you otherwise. If you don't care, let them go on and do whatever they want. You're selfish, self-centered, and, and your family will fail. He says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So if I'm not seeking to train them, if I just leave them to their own devices... They're going to fail. They're going to, they're going to walk away from God. Their life will not be directed in His steps. So training them is, is a part of this and, and, and praying for them so that it, I'm not leaving them to their self. We looked in uh, Colossians chapter 3 and uh, towards the end of the chapter, remember what number verse it is, 19, 20, somewhere in that range. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And I was talking about how we teach our children that verse. We, we teach them that verse. And it's, it's uh, when you think about it, it, well, that sounds a little self-serving. But it's not. It is that I want them to know what the Bible says, so they do what the Bible says. God has given an order for them. They, they need to know what God expects. Well, God expects children... To obey their parents. This is right. Unto the Lord. This pleases God when they obey their parents. I need to train them these things. If I leave them to their own devices, it says, He brings his mother to shame. Uh, Psalms chapter 127, verse 3. 127, 3. They are a gift from God. And, and then, not only are they precious because they're ours, but they're precious because they came from Him. There's nothing as valuable as our children. I'm all for having pets. 
But it bothers me when we say that Kyle is going to have a little brother or a little sister and it's a cat or a dog. It's not his brother or sister. That animal is special. I, I'm not taking that away from that. They're, they're, they uh, become a part of the family, I understand. But in no way are they ever equal with a child. God gave us children. They're an inher- a heritage from the Lord, it says in verse 27, verse 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. God has given us, entrusted us with a reward, with an heritage from him, and we have a responsibility, as Job did, to guard their souls. It's, it's speaking of my children, it's Elizabeth and I's job first. My parents and her parents have influence, so it's their job too. It's also the job of the church to pray for our children. So I have a responsibility to the most children, to the true's children, to those that, that are here and we have influence on, to pray for them. Job said, it may be, it, it's possible, I don't know that there is, but it may be my sons of sin and curse God in their heart. Outwardly, they look right. Outwardly, they're doing okay, but maybe in their heart, there's some doubt or some bitterness or some, some turning away from the Lord. And so he sacrificed continually. Do we do that for our children? Satan will destroy our children, destroy the family if he can. It is his desire there's so many, so many um, cases of par- uh, pastors' children turning from God. All around, all around the world. And I fear that. I know the, these physical uh, struggles, uh, spiritual struggles that they will go through. I grew up as a pastor's son. I, I, I do know that battle. I know God is greater, and I know if we will constantly go before him, constantly sacrifice for them, as Job did, not butchering animals on the altar, but this sacrifice of worship and this sacrifice of pleading for them, God can and will watch over our children. But we have to be faithful in this. Satan loves to destroy the preacher's home. What a, what, a, what a mark across the community. Job said, it, there's just a possibility of a slight doubt in their heart. So I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to pray for them. One more verse, Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 21, I love this verse. I claim this verse. There's, there's so many verses in the Bible that as parents we need to get a hold of and claim them by faith. God, this is your word. This is your word and I'm going to stand on it. This verse says, Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. So it says that whatever devices the world has, all these 
men and women that hate God, even though they join hands and they, they're in corporation together to fight against the family, which we see that today, to fight against the nuclear family and, and God's order in things. They despise a woman who is a stay-at-home mom. They despise a woman who is, who is biblically surrendered to her husband. They despise families that, that homeschool their children. They, they, they just, more and more and more, they come against us. So there's hands joining in hand, right? They're going to try and take our children and teach them all kinds of perversion and junk. It says, the wicked shall not be unpunished. God sees what's going on in this world and the wicked will be punished. So I leave those then to him. And then I go to the rest of the verse. It says, but the seed of the righteous, those that are mine, and I'm righteous in the blood of Jesus Christ, not in my own strength. Please don't get me wrong. I'm only righteous because of him. And, I'm, and my righteousness is day to day as I walk with him. The purity in my heart is only because of His grace. If I am walking with Him, faithful in walking with Him, the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. My children, your children, can be delivered if we're righteous. Now this is a promise in the Word of God. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he shall not depart from it. Claim these things. This is, I don't need to have another interpretation. I don't need to look at this verse from another angle. It's a literal, it's a literal thing. God didn't speak in... in uh, uh, well, the word just slipped my mind. But there's not a percentage to this. It's 100%. He didn't hide something in there. There's no but. It is this. The seed of the righteous shall be delivered. So, fathers and mothers, we are to strive for holiness, for godliness. Pray for our children in faith, trusting that God will keep them. You can't. You can't. But He is able and He is willing. It is His desire. and It is His goal for each one of our children. I don't like that term, God's goal. It's His will. It's His will. Verse 5, And it was so that when the days that our feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. We'll see in the chapter 2 that Job feared losing his family. Now, I fear it in this, that I know my flesh is weak. I know that I, as a parent, can fail them. I do not fear God failing my family. I rest on that. I trust in that. I love those verses that are solid. But it is dependent. Train up a child in the way he should go, says as a parent, I have the responsibility then to train them up. That's the variable in the verse. Are we continually... Seeking God's face on the behalf of our children. Job was perfect, upright, feared God and eschewed evil. So much so that he wanted, 
He wanted his children to fear God and eschew evil as well. It may be there's some, they've cursed God in their heart. Let's pray for our children constantly and fervently and by name. Pray for our young people, our teenagers. Pray for Abby and, and uh, Jimmy Ray that ride the bus. They're seeking truth and they don't know it. There's, there's so many things against them in this life. And yet they have the opportunity, they have the, the time spent with us around the Word of God. Let's be praying for our young people. God is able. His Word is true. And let's lean on that. Father, thank you for our time tonight. Thank you for the testimony of Job. Guide us as we get more into the book. Father, there's so much here.